Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Uh, so as, as Jim said, this is our Miracle Month, our annual Miracle Month, and we are doing a bit of a series on faith, looking at faith. And Jim spoke last week on the miracle of faith, and this week I'm continuing in the same vein, and I've titled this message, Retrieving Your Faith. And so we're going to look at faith this morning, and I'm going to pray as we open God's Word that you would receive this morning and be challenged by His Word this morning. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much we can come. We can come into your house as a fellowship of believers. We can be transformed by your word. I pray, Lord Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us individually, corporately, challenge us to open our hearts and our minds to the word this morning, that you may speak to us individually, speak to us where we are at in our lives, that you will take us to somewhere that is greater. We thank you, Jesus, this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, the renowned New Testament scholar, J. Gresham Machen, he said this, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said, the New Testament never says that someone is saved on the account of their faith, but always that they are saved through their faith or by means of their faith. Faith is merely the means by which the Holy Spirit uses to apply to that person the benefits of Christ's death. The renowned pastor Jim spoke last week on the miracle of faith and he said this that faith is neutral it leans to that which we do or do not believe if we believe in something our faith attaches to that or if we don't believe in something our faith attaches to that instead it's where we place our faith that is truly what matters i've believed many things over the 40 years that i've been alive I used to believe that I couldn't go swimming within half an hour of eating, otherwise something bad would happen to me. I'm not sure what that is, but I didn't do it because I was afraid that something would happen. I used to believe that the monsters in the movies I was allowed to watch when I was a kid would be lurking in the dark waiting to get me. If I left my bed or you stick an arm out over the side, the monster's going to come and grab it. Obviously, I'm not the only person in the room. I once believed that if I watched my football team play, they would have less chance of winning. That if I left them alone and didn't watch them, there's more chance that they win the match. Is that just me? I don't think, I don't, is that, obviously, I don't know if it's just me. I don't know why I ever believed that, but I did believe that. I also used to believe that the Canary Bulldogs were the best football team in the world. All oh, right, I still believe that. It's okay. I still believe those. I once believed that my existence was pure random chance. That life as we know it, was without purpose or design, that we are some sort of cosmic happenstance. We just happened to be here through a process over many, many billions of years. That was where my faith lay. That's where I attached my faith to. I once believed that there was no God, or if the God did once exist, he was now dead, or he had stopped caring about his creation. He put it into motion, and then he went and watched Netflix or something. I don't know. That was where my faith laid its bed. Until one night in 1998, on a rooftop deck in Green Slopes, God gave a vision to a man 
who was earnestly seeking to put his faith in something, anything else, anything that was better than nothing. And in that moment when that happened, I knew God was real. I knew that he cared. I mean, out of seven billion people on the planet, in that moment, God was speaking to me. He gave me a vision on a rooftop in suburban Brisbane over 20 years ago. In that moment, my faith attached itself to a living God who had given me life, design, and purpose. I chose to put my faith in the only one that we can rely upon. Each of us have a story about our faith and how we came to faith. Each of us have a story about how we were dead in our sins and then we were made alive again through Jesus Christ. When we took our faith and we put it in the hands of Jesus, it doesn't matter how dramatic your story is or how humble your story is. I had a vision. That's probably what it took for me to overcome my unbelief. But some of you have a story that is humble, sitting in your bedroom, realizing that God is real and simply just praying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. It doesn't matter what your story is. What matters is that you put your faith into the right place. You put your faith in the only place that it matters. When Jim spoke last week on the miracle of faith, uh, he explained to you what faith was, its attributes. So I'm not going to explain to you what faith is. I'm not going to tell you what the attributes or characteristics of faith are. I'm here to speak about finding your faith again, maintaining your faith, growing your faith, how we get back to that place when we first believed. Because when we first believed, we went from death into life. You made a conscious choice to put your faith in Jesus. We need to get back to that place where faith is life-changing, where faith causes us to make decisions that change our lives. To, in fact, move from that faith into a greater faith. Jim said last week that we, our faith should be greater now than it was when we first believed. Because we, we know Jesus. We've seen what he can do. Our faith should be more, greater, deeper, stronger. But sometimes we need to get back to that place we first believed so again we can move forward and God can increase our faith. Our faith should increase as we believe in Jesus. But is that what we see? Is that what happens? Often it's the opposite we see in people. We lose our faith, or our, our lives live with a diminished faith. Our everyday lives take up more and more of our time, more and more of our capacity to think and believe. You see, Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke 17. He talked about the coming of the kingdom. That day when he returns, and he said that when he comes back, that life will be normal. That people would still be eating and drinking and going to work and farming and selling and, and sleeping and all those things. It will be, no, be a day no different to any other day. It will happen without warning. That's what Jesus says. And after he says that, the very next passage in Luke 18 is where Jesus tells the story of the persistent widow. We all know that story, right? The widow would come to this unjust judge and pester him every single day. And eventually he said, I will just give her what she wants, so she'll leave me alone. And Jesus says, even the unjust judge gave a just decision in that circumstance. He didn't care about the person, the, the widow. 
He didn't care about her. He just wanted to stop being annoyed by her. Jesus said, how much more will God give justice to those who believe in him? He says this in Luke 18, chapter, verse 8. He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man come, returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Jesus is asking the question. When he returns, how many will he find on the earth who still have faith? Jesus encourages those to cry out to God. To, to seek, to ask God. But then he asks the question, how many will still believe? How much faith will I find? Jesus tells us he's looking for people of faith. Not people who are, have allowed the busyness, the struggles, the distractions of everyday life to rob them of their faith. No. Jesus is looking for one thing. He's not looking for the shiniest Christian or the Christian who goes to the biggest church or the Christian who drives the biggest car or the Christian who was able to put their kids to the best school. He's not looking for any of those things. Jesus is only looking for one thing. Will there be people of faith when I return? It's imperative that we become people of faith because it's faith that Jesus is looking for and nothing else. That's his only standard of measurement. He's looking for faith. You see, Paul knew this too well. The Apostle Paul knew this in Romans 13 11. He says this. He says, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We need to wake our faith up because we do not know when he's going to return. We don't know. Paul was trying to encourage them. We are closer now than we were before. Today is one step closer to Jesus coming back than yesterday was or last week was, we don't know. We need to wake our faith up and live the life of faith that we've been called to live. Here's my question. When was the last time you truly depended on God? I mean, really depended on God. I mean, you needed God to come through because there was no other option. Often we pray to God, but in the back of their mind we're thinking, well, if he doesn't do anything, then I can do this and I can go to that person and I can, you know... We start thinking of strategies, of plans we can put in place. Yes? Is that what we do? But when was the last time you needed God to come through because you had no strategy? When was the last time you truly depended on God? Asking him to intervene because there's no other option. You see, sometimes we find our faith fading because we are comfortable. Life is too comfortable. We are pursuing that relationship with God because things are good, things are okay, things are manageable. It isn't until we count a disaster that we fall on our knees and reach out to God. That's not the faith that Jesus is looking for. We know that it shouldn't take tragedy or disaster to make us reach out to God. We know that. Because that's not the faith that we should have. We should have greater faith. Faith that is strong enough for us to continue on even before disaster hits. And I'll tell you the story. When I became a chaplain <clears throat> a long time ago, uh, it was my first experience on living on a wage that was built upon the giving of other people. And before that, I worked in a factory. I drove a forklift and I used to unload trucks. And that was simple. If I turned up and did my job, I got paid. 
That makes sense. If I don't turn up, I didn't get paid. Okay? Transactional nature. We understand that. If we do work, we get reward for doing that work. But now I was getting paid purely from people choosing to give money. And if they didn't give money, then there was no money for me to get paid. People were giving because they believed in something. They believed that God was going to use me in the school that I worked. And therefore they gave out of that generosity, out of that belief. They attached their faith to that. Now if that was where my belief stayed, if that was where my mindset stayed, then maybe I would have handled what happened next very differently. You see, for the first few years of chaplaincy, uh, there was no federal government funding. It didn't exist when I started. And 100% of our wage was donations. And in the first few years, every meeting we had, had monthly meetings for chaplaincy. You can guess what the first item on the agenda was, can't you? We talked about money. We talked about money. Because every month, our accounts were either in the red or just in the black. There was either not enough money in the account every month, or we were just over the line. There was me and another chaplain at the other high school in my area. We both worked four and a half days. That's nine days of chaplaincy every week we had to fund. But here's the thing. We always had enough. Always. Always had enough. Never, not ever, not once in those first few years did we ever have to cut our days or take a wage reduction. Never, not once. It was in those first few years that I learnt that I was not living on the generosity of people. That was the wrong belief. I was living off the provision of God. It was him who was providing for me, not people. God used people, yes, of course. But it's God who provides. He always made sure we had enough. My faith was not in people believing in me or believing in God was going to use me. How conceited do you have to be? People are giving money to me. No, they're giving money to God. And God is giving us what we need to do the job that he's called us to. Fast forward a few years. Now the federal government now funds chaplaincy about 40%. So it's less than half what we need. So the 60% is needed from donations still. And there's now seven chaplains to fund in my area. And uh, it was around 2015. I'm not sure. I don't know if Jane remembers it all. I don't know. I was in year seven camp. And I got a call from my field manager. And she says, I'm sorry to tell you, there's not enough money in the account. We're going to have to drop days of chaplaincy service. And so after camp, we had a meeting, of course. All the chaplains and scripture union and all those people came. And you can guess what the number one item on the agenda was. We talked about money. And the conversation went round and around and people were saying this. And no one argued, but there was some passionate debate. Let's call it that. Some vigorous comments that were made. And we're talking about strategies for fundraising and partnerships. What can we do? I went for ages. And after the meeting, one of the newer chaplains came to me. And he said, aren't you worried? And I was like, what do you mean? Because you just sat there and you seemed so relaxed. Like, you're not concerned at all. Like, we could lose our jobs. Do you understand that? And I thought, at the risk of sounding flippant, I said, God's always provided. Like, if he wants us to keep doing the job, God will provide. Not that we shouldn't develop new fundraising strategies. 
course. Not that we shouldn't look at other revenues of income. That's, that makes sense. That's smart. Of course we should. But there's no point worrying about it. Maybe I sat there looking nonplussed because I had peace. And it's not because I'm a super Christian. It's not because I have more faith than anyone else. It's not because I have a deeper understanding of God or anything like that. It had nothing to do with that. It was because God had already showed me that he had provided. And so there's no reason for me to think that he won't do it again. So why worry? What's the point? If I, my faith had stayed in believing that it was people just giving out of generosity, I probably would have been freaking out as well. But I believe that God is the source. I believe that God is the source. He had already shown me that I can trust him 100%. My faith isn't in government funding or in people. My faith is 100% in God resourcing that which he has established. I know that God called me to chaplaincy. If he's called me, he will give me what I need to do my job. He established chaplaincy. Chaplaincy was there in my school before I was even there. God's the one who set it up. If he's established it, he will resource it. See, my faith was in him before disaster even hit. That is the kind of faith that gives peace through the turmoil. That was 2015. I'm still a chaplain, it's 2022. So you know how the story ended. God provided. You see, Jesus is looking for faith. That when he returns, there's people who still believe in him, who have put their faith in him and continue to trust in him every single day. But here's the amazing thing about that same faith. Jesus is looking for faith, but it's that same faith that enables us to live the best life we can live until he returns. Our faith is not just about hanging on until Jesus comes back. When we see him, we're like, oh, thank goodness, Jesus, I was about to give up. You're dragging yourself through the days with a little bit of faith you have. That's not the kind of faith Jesus is looking for. He wants us to have the faith that propels us, motivates us, encourages us to live our best life. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came to give life, life to the full. Not a life dragging yourself through every day, a full life. That's the kind of faith Jesus is looking for. So how do we get that kind of faith? How do we retrieve that kind of faith? How do we keep a life where faith is in us every single day, and it is getting stronger and is growing. Well, I think the answer is in the Bible. I know, shocking, huh? I mean, I look at the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. I'll give you a bit of context about this. Uh, just before this story happens, uh, Jesus has been on the mountain of transfiguration. He took Peter, James, and John with him up the top of the mountain, and they saw... Jesus transfigured. So they're up in the mountain. And the rest of the disciples are still down the bottom of the mountain. They're still ministering in Jesus' name. Okay? And so we pick up the story in verse 14. It says this. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. Some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into water, into fire, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible for a person if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes the boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd of people and those people said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him up to his feet and stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out by prayer. I believe in this story there is three steps to living the kind of a life of faith that Jesus is looking for. And the first one is this, be honest with God. How do we retrieve our faith? We need to be honest with God. Be honest with God. I can't imagine what life is like for that family, for that father, to see your child in pain and distress, not being able to help. This man, desperate and clinging to some kind of hope, comes looking for Jesus. And what does he find? No Jesus. No Jesus. There's disciples who are left, ones who didn't go up the mountain. And despite their best efforts, they're unable to help the boy. They can't drive the spirit out. The father, imagine, his last ditch effort has gone nowhere. Jesus is off up a mountain somewhere. Those who follow him, they've failed. He's getting nowhere. Whatever faith this father had must have just unraveled on the spot and then entered Jesus. Stress levels must have been high. They're arguing going on. And Jesus steps in. The father, having dealt with this for years, pleads with Jesus, if you can do anything, please help us. If you can do anything. The man in his despair reveals the true nature of his belief. He came to Jesus believing for a miracle, and when the disciples couldn't help, his faith takes a hit. And even the appearance of Jesus doesn't have an immediate effect on the man. He says, if you can do anything, I'm on my last hope here. That's not a faith statement. That's not a statement full of faith, if you can help. That's a Hail Mary statement. That's our last hope request. But because of the Father's honesty, because all is laid bare, Jesus can speak directly to the issue. All things are possible for those who believe. I love that we're saying all things are possible this point. That wasn't set up. That's the Holy Spirit doing his work. The issue here is the Father's faith. Jesus has rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith. Faith is the key here in this story. We have to believe that Jesus can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think or imagine. Before we can deal with our faith, we have to be honest with God. We can wear masks before people. 
We can put the facade up. We can put the brave face on it if we want. If I go into a school and having a bad day, the kids don't want to hear about my tales of woe, do they? No, they come to me so they can unload their tales of woe onto me. So sometimes I've got to put the brave face on. We all put a brave face on. The only place we can't put it on is in front of God. With God, we have to be raw and honest so he can deal with the real issues. Because if we're not, there's all this stuff that's in the way. And God can't deal with what's really happening. We've got to get rid of that stuff. Be honest with God. I mean, there's no better example than Jesus himself. He went alone to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He didn't pray, God, I'm ready to go. Let's get this done. That's not what he prayed. He prayed, if this cup of suffering can pass from me. That's what he prayed. He was being honest with his father. God, Father, I am struggling. What I have to do, I'm not sure I can do it. He was honest with his father. That he was struggling before the ordeal set before him. But once he was honest, once he laid it bare, put all his cards on the table, the real issue could be addressed. And that is why in the very next breath, Jesus says, not your will, my will, but not my will, but your will be done. The issue there was obedience. Jesus needed to be honest and get rid of that stuff in the way so he could obey his father. So he could be obedient to the cause. That he could resolve to do as God had asked him what needed to be done. You see, faith cannot be born out of or rediscovered out of dishonesty or glossing over the truth. If you're frustrated at God, tell him. If you're angry at God, let him know. If you lack faith, tell God. If something hasn't happened the way you wanted it to, tell God, because he wants to hear. Because once you lay it bare, he can deal with the real issue. But until you do that, he cannot. It's not because God doesn't know already. Of course God knows already. But he wants us to come to him, to make the decision to believe that God will do what he said he will do. But that's on us. We're the ones who have to go to God. We're the ones who have to lay it aside so we can know God better, so we can trust him more. This stuff which we keep bottled up prevents us from knowing God as we should. Yes, God already knows. He's just waiting for you to come. And be honest so your faith can grow. We need to be honest with God. The second step, how do we retrieve our faith? We need to ask for it. It sounds pretty simple. We need to ask for faith. We need to ask God for greater faith. When Jesus replied, if I can, anything is possible for a person who believes. What is the father's response? He doesn't pray again for Jesus to heal his son. No, he changes his prayer. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The father asked for something else. We know there was an element of faith in the man already. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought his son in the first place. If he didn't believe that Jesus could do something, he wouldn't have come. But there's also doubt. His faith has diminished. It has faded. The disciples had failed. The teachers of the law are there stirring things up. There's commotion and chaos. 
And what this man needs to do is drown everything out and focus on Jesus. He's got to focus on his belief. He's got to focus on his faith. And it is faith he asks for Jesus to help him with. You see, it's easy to get caught up in praying for what we want, isn't it? We ask God for these things that we want, what we want to see happen in our lives. But my question is, do you ever pray for more faith instead? Do you ever ask God, God, please help me overcome my unbelief? Because we all have doubt at times. None of us is immune from that. We all have doubt. Do you ever ask God to help you with your faith? I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for what we want. Of course, Jesus gave us the parable of the persistent widow for a reason. To ask what we want, to ask God to intervene. But sometimes instead of praying for what you want, maybe you should pray for more faith. To overcome your unbelief. Because of all the things we need in life, faith is the only thing that Jesus is looking for. So sure, it's the most important thing we should have. Hebrews 11 tells us all these great examples of faith. Look at Enoch, who was taken up into heaven, didn't even die. Jesus took him, God took him. You think about Noah, Noah who built an ark because God warned him of things that he'd never seen before. He didn't know what a flood was. Never happened. But he still chose to believe and he built the ark anyway. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to believe that God is there to approach him in the first place, don't we? I mean, you can't pray to someone you don't believe exists. That's not where our faith should stay. We need to go one step further. Not just believe that God is there, but you need to believe that God is there for you. It's one thing to have faith that God is real, but it's another to have faith that God loves you and cares for you and he is with you. Jesus told us, told us himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, he says in verse 20, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Jesus tells us that he is always with us. That's something to put our faith in. And what's our prayer and response? We should pray, God, help me have greater faith. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. That should be our prayer. We need to have greater faith in what Jesus has told us. We know it, but we need to know it more, know it deeper, understand it completely, have fresh revelation of what it means to believe in Jesus. We need to ask for faith. And the last step is this, and it's really the most important step because the other two come under this. If we want to retrieve our faith, you need to be a friend of God. You need to become a friend of God. My question is this, are you a friend of God? Do you believe that you're a friend of God? And the lesson here doesn't come from the Father, it comes from the disciples. You see, at the end of Mark 9, the end of the story in verse 28, when they were alone together, finally, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we drive out the evil spirit? Because they tried, they really tried. But they failed. Why? Why, Jesus? Why couldn't we do it? And what is his response? He says, it can only come out by prayer. Other versions say prayer and fasting. 
And so I was tempted to make the, the third point solely about prayer, but then I realized that's not what Jesus is talking about. Prayer is part of it, and fasting is part of it too, of course. But I don't think Jesus has been that specific. You see, in Mark 3, we see Jesus sends the disciples out. And in verse 15, it says, He gave them the authority to cast out demons. So Jesus had given the disciples everything they needed to do the job. They had the authority. So why didn't the evil spirit get driven out? Why did they fail? What did Jesus mean when he says only prayer would work? You see, they had the authority, but they didn't have the power. Who was their source of power? Who is the disciples' source of power? Jesus, or God. I'll take, I'll take either answer. That's fine. God is their source of power. And what is their connection to the source? Faith. Faith is their connection to the source. Belief. The problem was simple. Jesus was telling them, you're not close enough to your source. That is why you failed. You're not close enough to the source of your power. How was the disciples' relationship with God? That's the question we should be asking. I mean, they were with Jesus all the time, talking, watching, listening, learning. But how was their relationship with their Creator? You see, Jesus would take moments to spend with his Father. All throughout the Gospels, you would see it. Jesus would go alone to pray to God. Were the disciples doing the same? I don't know. Jesus spent his whole time pointing people back to God. Jesus kept saying, I do the things the Father tells me to do. He kept pointing back to God, back to relationship with God. If we don't connect with the source of our faith, our very being, our life, then our faith loses power. You see, that full life that Jesus came to give is lessened, it diminished. You see, God gives us the gift of grace and mercy, eternal life, faith. But if we lose connection with him, those things wither and they fade. Our faith diminishes. That's why I ask the question, are you a friend of God? Does there exist between you and God a relationship, a bond, a connection that is maintained regularly? In Isaiah 41.8, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, his chosen people, and he calls them chosen, descended from Abraham, my friend. God calls Abraham his friend. It's literally translated as Abraham who loved me. Do you love God? Proverbs 17, 17 tells us that a friend loves at all times good and bad, frustrating, manageable, whatever is going on, a friend loves at all times. You see, our relationship with God is a friendship, a reciprocal relationship where we share a bond of mutual affection. If you want to get technical about it, there should be mutual affection. We should want to spend time with God because he wants to spend time with us. A friendship is where we know and understand each other, where we like each other. We want to spend time together. We want to love and protect each other. Jesus revealed the nature of the relationship in John 15. He says, I no longer call you slaves. Now you are my friends. You are my friends. See, God shares with us all we need to know. 
That's not the action of a master who has subjects, but a friend who wants to share all he has with those who love him. If we do not nurture our relationship with God, our faith will suffer. No matter how great revelation of who God is, how much you know the Bible, how much you understand of what God has done for you, if you do not cultivate your connection with God, then your faith will suffer. We will lose aspects of our faith which we need. If you don't nurture your relationship, the first thing you lose is vitality. We lose vitality. Vitality is that living power that takes something ordinary and turns it into something extraordinary. Our faith without vitality becomes an old habit. It becomes a series of gestures. It becomes religion. Religion. Kids at school ask me all the time, are you religious? And I'm like, no. They're like, but you go to church? Yes. So you're not religious? No. I'm not religious. I have a relationship with a God who created me and with a Savior who saved me. Because religion is just empty faith. It's gestures, it's old habits, things we do because we think we should do them. But there's no power behind them, there's no meaning behind them. If we lose a connection with God, then we lose that vitality. Our faith becomes religion instead of being a beautiful offering to him. The second thing we lose is humility. We lose our humility. You see, faith is meant to set us apart from the rest of the world. That's our defining characteristic. We are people of faith. But when it fades, we forget our lives on offering to God. And we start doing things for ourselves. Our relationship is no longer a friendship. It becomes transactional. We start asking God for the things that we want instead of spending time with him. We forget our faith is meant to show the world that he loves us and that he loves them. We can't afford to lose our relationship with God. We need to make sure we maintain it. It should become our number one priority so we do not lose our vitality, we do not lose our humility, and we live our lives as an offering to him. You see, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to return. And there's only one thing that he's looking for, and that's faith. Not the biggest church. He's looking for faith. For those that still believe. For those that trust in God and love at all times. Faith is meant to sustain us and until he comes again. Not dragging our souls through the days and waiting for Jesus. Is this going to be the day, Lord? Is this going to be the day, Lord? Please come back. I've had enough. That's not the life that he wants us to live. When Jesus talks about a full life, that's anything but a full life. We need the faith that propels us through the days, that shows the world that he loves us and that he loves them. Boldness, lives that can change other people's lives. That's what faith does. Faith that is available, it's available to everyone here. It's available to everyone watching at home. But only if you come to him openly and honestly, you lay it bare. You get rid of the stuff that's in the way so Jesus can deal with the real issues. You come to him and you ask him, Lord, give me faith. You ask for faith. You humble yourself before him and you make your connection with him your first priority. If you do those things, then your faith will grow. 
You will find that faith again that you had that took you from death to life. You will find it again and it will grow. It will become such a powerful faith that you have never, ever known before. Because He has so much more for you than you can possibly imagine. The kind of faith that invites the God of limitless possibilities, of unyielding love, of life in abundance into your existence. If you do those things, then your faith will flourish like never before. Life-changing faith. As we invite God to have His way in our life. And so our life becomes an offering to the one who made us, the one who saved us, the one who wants us to live life in abundance, a life of faith. I'm going to ask the musicians to come now. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for different groups of people this morning. So I'd ask that you would stand this morning. Stand in the presence of God. Because I believe that God is asking, He's inviting you this morning to become people of greater faith. To come back to that place where you went from death into life. That your life can be so much more than you can think or imagine. He is so much more for you. And that when He returns, He would see, I see your faith. I see your faith. I see your faith. I see your faith. We are people of faith. And he goes back, there's a person of faith. There is my child who believes. There is my child who believes. That is what he calls us to do, to be people of faith. Let us pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gift of faith. And Lord, I want to pray for a particular group of people. And that's those here or watching at home who have never, ever given their life to you before, who have never said, God, have your way in me. Jesus, I believe in you. Never, ever. And I say to you this morning, if that's you this morning, either here or at home, if that's you this morning, I say this. God loves you, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you would believe and that you would live a life that is so full you can't possibly imagine. A life that is not happenstance or chance or an error or a mistake. It is a life that is full of purpose and is by design. That God chose you. That you would believe. And it's simple. All you need to say to God is, Lord, forgive me for living life my own way. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I give my life to you now that I may live for you. It's simple. It's simple. If that's you this morning, either here or at home, I would ask that you reach out. I would ask that you respond. You would tell us that you made that decision because we want to journey with you. We want to go step by step with you and see where your faith can take you, what God can do through your faith. Thank you, Jesus. And this morning I pray for those who already believe, who at one point in their life, they made the decision to attach their faith to Jesus. The only one that we can trust upon, the only foundation, the only rock. And I pray for everyone this morning that they would seek to retrieve their faith, 
that faith when they first believe so they can grow their faith into something so much more. And so I pray for everyone here that you would come to God and be open and honest. That you would realize there's stuff that's in the way. Come to God. Put the mask aside. Drop the brave face. Come to God openly and honestly so he can deal with the real issue. And then ask for faith. Ask for greater faith. Say, God, I want to believe more. I want to have greater faith. I want to trust in you more and more and more. I want to trust that you'll use me to do great things. Ask for faith. And then I want to ask myself a question. Am I a friend of God? Am I God's friend? Am I his friend? Do I love at all times? Do I seek first and foremost his presence in my life? Do I cultivate that relationship? Do I tend to it like a garden? Looking after it, seeking him, talking with him, listening to him. Knowing that if we don't do that, our faith will fade. We will lose that vitality, that power. We will lose our humility. Lord, help us to be people who give our lives as an offering to you and that you would use our lives to spur faith in other people. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that we are your chosen people and you call us your friend. Help us to have greater faith, greater faith, greater faith. Help us to believe that when Jesus returns, he will look at me and say, I see your faith. Look in the mirror, people. Look in the mirror, my children, and see, I see your faith. I see your faith. I see your faith. I see your faith. And even though we doubt, we pray to God, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to believe for greater things, greater things than me. Greater things than I can imagine. Because I believe, God, you're going to do greater things. Amazing things. Things that we can't even possibly consider at this point in time. Because you've shown us that we can trust in you. You've shown us that we can put our faith in you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to be people who believe people of faith people of faith people of faith thank you jesus thanks for listening today i hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly god bless and have a great day